Hey everybody, this is Pastor James. Welcome back to our midweek Bible study. Today we are going to be finishing up chapter 6 as Solomon continues to teach his sons about the type of people to avoid and even characteristics to avoid in your own self. So we got a, uh, it's a several passages, several uh, verses of scripture. So let's get started, not to waste time so we don't take any more time than we need. Let's read verses 16 through 19 together, starting out. There are six things the Lord hates, no seven things he detests. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that kill the innocent, a heart that plots evil, feet that race to do wrong, a false witness who pours out lies, a person who sows discord in a family. Okay, well let's go back, let's talk about verse 16 to start with. Solomon actually uses this statement that there are six things, and then he says, no, there are seven things. Um, he uses that several times throughout the book of Proverbs. Um, and I don't know exactly why. Maybe it's just something to kind of catch your attention or uh, things that, you know, maybe he, as, as you look in Scripture and as you read different parts of Scripture 7, is always considered the Lord's number. It's kind of considered a number of completion and a number of perfection. And so maybe it's just Solomon saying, hey, there's there's seven things that completely and and, uh, and, and fully that the Lord hates. But um, these are things that God hates and detests. Now, in the King James Version, um, which some of you may use, it says that there's an abomination instead of detest, which is basically the same thing. And, um, you know, this is one of those passages that um, I think we really just have to understand that there are certain words that are used by the authors whenever they're writing um, these books and God is inspiring them. And I think it's fitting to understand that some words are stronger than others. But at the same time, when you look at sin in general, I think it's pretty fair to say that God hates all sin. And that all sin is an abomination to the Lord. But there are seven things that Solomon lists that are, are kind of, seems to be maybe a little more disgusting to the Lord than others. And we're going to talk about those. So, let's talk about... Um, uh, the, these things that that are we're about to discuss, and just remind ourselves of the Ten Commandments, and the seven things that Solomon has identified are sinful to both God and other people. And if you look at the Ten Commandments, you you remind yourself that the first four commandments deal with God and sins against the Lord, and the last six uh, commandments five through ten deal with sins against other people. And I think it's pretty important that, you know, God expects us to honor and glorify Him. But there are actually more commandments in how we deal and treat other people than what there are of God. Not many more, but, you know, there are more. And I think that's worth noting. That God expects us to treat each other just as good as He expects us to treat Him with respect and love and, and admonition and, you know, for us to be humble. So let's talk about verse 17. The first thing that Solomon mentions is haughty eyes. And uh, this is probably one of those things that, you know, we may not necessarily understand fully whenever we begin to read it. Like, you know, it's not one of those things like, oh, I know exactly what Solomon means when he says haughty eyes. It's like, nah, 
you kind of got to dig a little bit to really understand what that means. But if you look up the word haughty, haughty means arrogant, superior, or disdainful. And if someone has arrogant eyes, that's a little easier to understand. You know, I'm sure that many of you at some point in time have been looked at by someone else and felt that they were looking at you like they were better than you or they looked at you like they were looking down on you. Um, But we've all probably experienced that at some point in time in life. And if your eyes, and this is you personally, have an arrogance or superiority in them, then it's only revealing what's in your heart. I mean, if you look at someone, if you're willing to show someone that you disprove of them, you know, most of the time we're only giving someone a glimpse of what we're actually thinking or feeling in our heart by what we reveal to them. Um, Even if it is a good thought or um, a good thing, most of us are not even fully willing to open up and express good things to people fully how we feel. You know, there's always some reservation there. So I think it's fair to say that if you're looking at someone with haughty eyes or prideful or arrogant or superiority over someone else, then um, it's only revealing part of what's in your heart and the, the understanding that what you feel in your heart is probably a lot greater than what someone can see in your eyes. And this goes both ways, whether it's you have haughty eyes towards the Lord or you have haughty eyes towards another person. It doesn't matter. People are created in God's image, all people. And it doesn't matter what someone else does or who they are or what they have or don't have. You have to remind yourself that they are created in God's image. They are a child of God, and God loves them. And we have to remember that. And so the way that we treat other people, a lot of times, is a reflection of how we treat God, whether we realize it or not. So I think it's pretty important that we realize and understand that haughty eyes are something that we should not have, especially towards God, but even towards people, because people are made in God's image. Now... Then he mentions a lying tongue. And from Old Testament to New Testament, lying is commonly described as something that has no place in the life of someone who is a follower of God. Whether it's Old Testament, pre-Christ, or New Testament, being a Christian, no place. How can our tongue that was meant for proclaiming truth, and when I say proclaiming truth, yes, I mean truth, but also it's... uh, referring to basically elevating elevating and glorifying God, and now in the New Testament, elevating and glorifying Christ. Like, your tongue was created to proclaim the glory of God, the glory of Christ. And how can your tongue proclaim the truth of God if it's lying? And you can't represent Christ if people can't trust you. And that's really important. So the Lord detests someone who lies. Now, the next thing that Solomon mentions are hands that kill the innocent. And it's very important to notice that Solomon says kill the innocent and not just kill anyone. There's a difference between killing and murder. Um... You know, I've I've debated with a lot of people on this issue over the years of being a Christian. Um, 
because a lot of people don't support the death penalty. They don't support the punishment of death and execution in that way. But when you look at Scripture, from Old Testament to New Testament, the Lord um, regularly puts people to death who are disobedient and causing disruption in uh, His plan, in His kingdom, amongst other people. And the Lord divvies out justice, and sometimes physical death is part of that justice. And when you read Scripture, even Solomon also writes in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 3, that there's a time to kill and there's a time to heal. So killing another human being is not necessarily a sinful act. There are times of war. There are times of self-defense. There are times where someone deserves the punishment of death. And that is just part of life. Um, and, and the Lord, we are called by God Um the, the punishment for sin is death. And so even the Lord puts us to death for our sin. And so, yes, we can be ransomed by Christ and live eternally, but we will still all experience a physical death because of our sin. And so understanding that Solomon most definitely is talking about killing a an innocent person and how the Lord... Uh, detest anyone who would kill an innocent person, that there's no reason for it, and the Lord will surely avenge them. Now, as we move on to verse 18, Solomon mentions a heart that plots evil. As in, and, and just like for someone who, who kills, there's also a difference here, and I want to make note, special note of this as you're listening today. You know, we're all sinners, we all have that battle going on between the Spirit of God in us and then our flesh. And we do struggle with sin. So there's a big difference between people who are fighting and struggling with sin versus someone who plots evil. And uh, there are people out there who sit around and they think of ways to do evil, to hurt others, to kill others, to take advantage, to steal... And they just plan that, and it's premeditated. And there's a big difference between that. Now, second thing he mentions in verse 18 is feet that race to do wrong. And this is very similar to someone who plots evil. You know, there are people who are just anxiously waiting to go out and do wrong. They're looking for the opportunity to sin. They're anticipating it. And when it presents itself, they go running to it. And the Lord detests people like that. So if you're listening to this today, I want to encourage you. If you're battling sin, it doesn't mean that you're living a sinless life. I'm talking about if you're battling sin, keep fighting. Keep leaning into the Lord. Keep asking Him to fill you with His Holy Spirit and give you the power to overcome sin. Keep fighting. But never allow your feet to get happy and to run towards sin. Because if you're living a life where you are getting excited about going and participating in sin, this is something that the Lord detests and we need to be aware of. Alright, so verse 19 mentions a false witness who pours out lies. And you might wonder, what's the difference between a lying tongue and a false witness? Well, in truth... There's not a whole lot because the Lord detests both of them. 
But um, there's a difference between someone who just lies all the time, who can't be trusted, and who can't proclaim the glory of God because no one trusts them because they lie about everything. And then there's a difference between someone who bears false witness because if someone bears false witness, this is dealing with the aspect of the law of God. When someone is accused of something and they're brought before the judges of Israel, the people who's going to decide whether or not they're innocent or guilty, and if someone comes and testifies falsely, that's bearing false witness. They are testifying falsely. They are lying in their testimony. And they condemn someone to a punishment that is innocent, uh, then inevitably you could label a person who gives false testimony in the same boat as someone who kills the innocent because they could be condemning an innocent person to death with their false testimony. And a false witness corrupts the entire law of Moses or the law of God, however you want to refer to it, um, because they lie to create injustice. And God's law was designed to bring about justice. You know, when we stand before God in judgment, when, when everything comes to an end and we have judgment day, true justice is going to be carried out. And so anyone who is a false witness who's been denying justice, God will surely carry out that justice on judgment day. So the last thing uh, that's mentioned is a person who sows discord. This is number seven, a person who sows discord in a family. And we don't realize how important it is for us as men and women of God to promote unity. Solomon realizes this in the Old Testament and how important unity is, especially in a family, because during this time, family units were really important in both the spiritual aspect of worshiping God, but also in the community of Israel and in the nation as a whole. Unity is important. And it actually carries over into the New Testament. And when you look at the New Testament books, the majority of what the epistles are about is promoting unity within the body of Christ. There's a lot of different issues being addressed, but it all leads back to everyone living the same way, serving the same God, believing the same things about Christ. Uh, submitting to one another, serving one another. It's all about unity. And anyone in the New Testament who sows disunity or discord among the church was supposed to be cast out. Whether they're living in sin or they're false teachers or whatever it is, they're supposed to be cast out of the church and turned over to their sins. And Solomon understands, even in the Old Testament, that anyone who sows discord inside the family is someone that the Lord hates because they cause trouble constantly. They're constantly making issues, constantly bringing division, and the Lord cannot be honored as long as people are fighting with one another. But if everyone can agree and everyone can get along and everyone can come to terms with God is in charge and we all submit to Him and we all submit to one another because He is God, then He can be glorified and made known to the world. So it kind of makes you wonder how much of this that Solomon's sons were struggling with um, and, and really how much discord could have been in Solomon's family amongst his sons and 
you know, you, you just have to assume in this moment that at least one, if not more, of his sons were sowing discord, whether they're jealous of one another, competing, trying to um, fight for the, the next king, who's going to be the next king, and all those things. So I imagine that Solomon's dealing with somewhat of a mess with his sons as he's writing the book of Proverbs, and he's trying to prepare his sons for what it means to be a man of God and a leader in the nation of Israel. So, let's move on to verses 20 through 29. It says, My son, obey your father's commands and don't neglect your mother's instructions. Keep their words always in your heart. Tie them around your neck. When you walk, their counsel will lead you. When you sleep, they will protect you. When you wake up, they will advise you. For their command is a lamp and their instruction a light. Their corrective discipline is the way to life. It will keep you from the immoral woman, from the smooth tongue of a promiscuous woman. Don't lust for her beauty. Don't let her coy glances seduce you. For a prostitute will bring you to poverty, but sleeping with another man's wife will cost you your life. Can a man scoop a flame into his lap and not have his clothes catch on fire? Can he walk on hot coals and not blister his feet? So it is with the man who sleeps with another man's wife. He who embraces her will not go unpunished. All right. Once again, we see that Solomon is encouraging his sons to obey their father's and mother's commands and instructions. Never forget, as soon as God makes commandments 1 through 4 dealing with him, the very next commandment that deals with other people is the commandment to honor your father and mother. That is the one thing that God wants you to do. And it was always God's will for us to have godly examples as parents and to be able to listen to their instructions and, and to follow them so that we could have a better life because God wants us to flourish. So if we keep our parents' words at heart, we tie them around their necks. It, it represents something that, that you and I should cherish and live by. And it doesn't mean that our parents are perfect. And I know that some of you may be listening right now and saying, well, if you knew my parents, you wouldn't listen to anything they say. And yes, that may be true. Pray to the Lord to give you wisdom on what not to listen to. But I guarantee you, as a human being, that your mom and dad can say at least one thing that is beneficial to you that you can tie around your neck and take with you and apply it to your life that in some way, somehow you can honor your father and mother. I would dare say there are very, very rare occasions where a father and a mother are so uh, disconnected from the Lord and absolutely evil that I would say you should never listen to anything that they would ever say because they are totally and absolutely evil. Those are very rare situations. So, I believe that most of us have fathers and mothers who love us as much as we love our own children. They're not perfect. They were never going to be perfect, and they never will be perfect in the future. But as... They have made mistakes. They have also done some things right. And we should do our best to find the things that they've done right, to tie it around our neck, to cherish it, to keep it with us, to pass it on to our own children, and to live our life by it. 
and to learn from the mistakes of our parents and do better with our own kids. So, Solomon is really pressing his sons to obey his commands and listen to his mother's instructions. It's a valuable thing, and there's a reason why God made that the fifth commandment. Okay, there's a reason why God did the first four dealing with him. Obey me, do what I want you to do first, and then the next most important thing you're going to do is honor your mother and father. That's the next thing that you need to get right. And as adults, you know, as we grow up, it's easier to see how wise our parents were whenever we were younger. Whenever we had the hardest time honoring our father and mother, for whatever reason, we just believed that they were just totally disconnected, totally irrelevant, kind of, you know, just really didn't believe they understood anything. And now... As you get older and you are a parent yourself, you realize how how much more your parents knew than you realize and how much you didn't know at the time. And it's, it's kind of eye-opening. But um, their command is a lamp. Their instruction is a light. The discipline that they implement on you is the way to life. And that's an interesting concept because none of us want to be disciplined. We all hate discipline, especially when it's happening. But Solomon identifies it as the path to life. Discipline is necessary for us to have a full and fruitful life. And so if you're a parent today and you're struggling with how much should I discipline my kid? What should I do? I want to encourage you to discipline your kids. Don't let them get away with anything discipline them it is the 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 one thing when you look at the instructions in scripture for how to raise your child it doesn't tell you whether or not you should buy them toys or whether or not you should promote santa claus or the easter bunny it doesn't tell you whether you should take them to the park or involve them in sports or take them to private school versus public school you don't get any of that but the one thing it's very specific about is discipline Discipline your kids. It's the one thing that is necessary for them to have a fruitful and productive life, to become good, God-honoring, and productive members of society, adults. Discipline is needed. It is the best thing that you can give for your kids. And no, they will not enjoy it when you're giving it to them. They might say that they hate you, or they might say, you don't love me, but I promise you, they will be better off for it. I look back at my life and I hated being disciplined. I was disciplined almost every day, both physically and with things being taken away because I was a bad kid. But I look back on the discipline in my life. I'm so thankful that my mom and dad rode me hard, that they, they made sure that I didn't get away with anything because I'm a much better person now because of that. Very thankful for that. So in verse 24, Solomon goes back to the immoral woman. So, so we're bringing this back up again. And he is revisiting this to communicate his teachings on the matter. You know, it's like review is good. As a teacher, you must review. You can't just teach something one time and leave it and never talk about it again. So you go back and revisit it. Um, you know, it's, it's important to see how all these things are connected. And so as Solomon is talking about honoring your father and mother, 
letting their instructions and their commands be a light to your path and guide you and discipline is the path to life. He also mentions that if you do all those things, it will help you avoid the immoral woman. You won't have to sit there in that moment and decide, am I going to do this or am I not going to do this? Because if you start out honoring your father and mother and doing the things they're encouraging you to do, then technically you should be already avoiding the immoral woman. And so that's why he says this will help you do that. Um, Solomon is, is reminding his sons, don't desire her. Don't be seduced by her. Remember that she will ruin you and bring you to poverty. And then he mentions this thing. He, he kind of goes into a little more detail where, you know, he moves from this prostitute role to this woman who is married um, because he, he wants his sons to know, like, the prostitute will bring you to ruin. It'll bring you to poverty. But you'll still technically be alive. You'll just be disgraced. And we talked about that a couple weeks ago. If you sleep with a married woman, it will cost you your life. In verses 27 through 28 are awesome verses that everyone should memorize. Because these verses could be applied to so many different circumstances in our lives. You know, if you scoop a flame into your lap, we're going to catch on fire. You know, it's like you can't just cover yourself in fire and not catch on fire. You're going to catch on fire. If we walk on hot coals, our feet are going to blister. Anyone with common sense would understand that 1 plus 1 equals 2. And if you get A and B, then it equals C. It's like we know what comes next. And if you mess with another man's wife, you will not go unpunished. Even if you get away with it in this life and he never finds out, you still have to remember that you're going to stand before God one day, stand before the Lord, and he will carry out justice on you. And so Proverbs 6 verses 30 through 35 kind of deals a little more with uh, in detail what's going to happen if you mess with another man's wife. So let's read this together. Excuses might be found for a thief who steals because he is starving. But if he is caught, he must pay back seven times what he stole, even if he has to sell everything in his house. But the man who commits adultery is an utter fool, for he destroys himself. He will be wounded and disgraced. His shame will never be erased, for the woman's jealous husband will be furious, and he will show no mercy when he takes revenge." He will accept no compensation, nor be satisfied with a payoff of any size. Alright, so, in verse 30, Solomon acknowledges the necessity of someone stealing if they're desperate. That's important. You know, there are times where it's like, okay, we have to be merciful and understanding to people in situations. But, even if someone can justify their act of stealing because they're starving and they need it, if they get caught, the law required that person in Solomon's day to pay back seven times what they had stolen. So think about this. If you steal, uh, let's just say, an apple because you're hungry, well, then you're required by the law if you get caught to pay the person back seven apples if you get caught. But let's say you steal a cow, okay? Right now, a good healthy cow is running around $1,000. So let's just say you steal a cow because you're hungry and you want a hamburger. 
Well, now you got to pay back seven cows. Is it worth the gamble? And that's why it's so important that you have the laws set up so that when a person who is getting to the point where I'm willing to steal because I'm that much in need, that they really consider what it is they're doing, and the law incentivizes them to go ahead and sell what they have to try to carry themselves over to, to until they can make some money or be successful or whatever because if they get caught, they got to pay it back. Well, what happens if you can't pay it back? Well, then you kind of become a servant, uh, a serf or indentured servant to, to work it off and pay for it eventually. So you have to understand in this that Solomon is saying, look, for someone who steals food because they're starving, you can kind of make an excuse for them. You, you, you can kind of understand that. But um, the man who commits adultery is an utter fool. They're foolish. There's no wisdom in adultery. And, and Solomon knows this because he's probably talked to his father, David, who committed adultery with Bathsheba and had Uriah killed and dealt with all that mess and dealt with the sin and dealt with the punishment from the Lord and dealt with losing his child, his first child with Bathsheba. And whether he heard it from David or he heard it from his mother, Bathsheba. I mean, Solomon's mother is Bathsheba, if you didn't realize that. And so uh, Solomon is the product of an adulterous relationship. And so he probably has an understanding of how much an adulterous relationship can negatively affect you. And David, if he had not been king, would have been put to death. But because he was king, he was spared from being put to death. But the Lord still brought punishment on him in other ways and made him pay for that sin. But Solomon understands that the man who commits adultery is a fool because he destroys himself. He will be wounded and disgraced. Shame will never be erased. And the woman's jealous husband will be furious and he will show no mercy when he takes revenge. He will accept no compensation nor be satisfied with a payoff of any size. Let me tell you something. If a man truly loves his wife and she cheats on him with someone else, there is no amount of money that you could give to compensate for what has been taken from him for how that has hurt him and broke him and disgraced him. There's no amount of money in the world that could pay him off to keep him from demanding justice from you and from his wife. And when you look at the law of God, he had every right by God to demand the life of his wife and the person who committed adultery with her. And this is what Solomon's saying. You mess with another man's wife, you're putting yourself to death. You're destroying yourself because you're putting yourself at the mercy of God's law. And now you're putting yourself at the mercy of another man's revenge. Last week, we talked about how uh, Solomon told you not to uh, sign for another friend's debts. Don't put yourself at the mercy of your friend and their bad decision because you never know what they'll do. You need to be a free man so that you can serve the Lord freely and fully. And you are a fool when you commit adultery because now you're putting yourself at the mercy of this husband whom you greatly have offended and now he is in control of your life. 
We were never meant to be controlled. We were never meant to be put in bondage and in debt to someone else. God has always taught his people and called his people to be free, to be absent from debt, to be absent from sin, to be absent from offending other people because we need to be free so that we can serve our God and honor and glorify his name. All right? Let me pray for you. Father, we love you and thank you so much for this beautiful day. I pray that you would speak into our hearts and lives. Help us to listen to the wisdom of Solomon, to apply it to our lives, and never fall into the traps of the sins and things of this world. But God, help us to honor you, to glorify you, to be free from sin, free from debt, free from offending and hurting other people so that we can truly be free to serve and honor and glorify you. We love you today and thank you so much for everything you bless us with. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, guys. Thanks for tuning in for another week. Thank you for being a part of the Graham Chapel family. And if you uh, cannot come to our services on campus this weekend, catch us on Facebook, YouTube, and the podcast. We love you. We're praying for you. Hope you have a great week.